Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 16, and then there were none. Let's get this show on the road. Before we begin this week, I just have to mention that I'm not in my usual environment for recording. I'm spending some time dog-sitting at my mom's, and so if the sound is a little bit different than what you guys are used to, that is totally normal. We are into a pretty wild episode. Uh, we literally lose three major players to the point where, like, one of them barely comes up because they're not super relevant, but, like... We still kill three, like, named characters. You know, this is not the last time that we're going to see Supernatural doing something like this. Like, introducing these characters and then, like, basically being like, mm, we don't really know what to do with them. So we're just going to kill them off, like, really abruptly. <laughs> and, like, I don't love it. But at the same time, it kind of gets rid of the ambiguity and, like, stops them from being, like, this, like, wild card piece in the puzzle that, like, may never have any relevance. All right, how about you get us started with the recap? How about you count me down? Three, two, one, go. Oh, uh, we have the boys join, join up with Bobby to go hunting after something that is like new and different. Uh, it turns out this is Eve b killing indiscriminately by creating a new monster, which is a super cool concept we'll have to explore more of. Uh, end up partnering up with uh, Rufus because they need, uh, he's just, you know, available and good at this stuff. And then, so we have like the Bobby and Rufus thing and the Sam and Dean things. We got kind of a dynamic shift. And as they get to this like, I think it's a cannery they're in. Uh, they end up running into Samuel and Gwen. So we got this whole like little party. Uh, and then it turns out this monster is like getting in your head and making you kill people. So Gwen goes down and then they think Samuel's possessed, which he is. So Sam kills Samuel. And then there's a huge fight again where it turns out Bobby gets possessed and he kills Rufus. And then ultimately they kill this monster, learn a bit about Eve and her plan. Bobby does live, but we lose three major characters in the span of a night uh, time. I like honestly like remind me how does Rufus get into the picture like where does he show up again? He's at the scene already. Right. Yes, they're playing. Uh, they're playing uh, FBI agents, and they they have to kind of play off each other, which is adorable. So let's get started with the long game. We're back to the Eve storyline, and again, I think that it's important to note that like she shows up as a woman in white. Oh, that is a good point. I'll be honest with a name like Eve. I was expecting some sort of big reveal of like oh, it turns out the Bible's wrong and Eve didn't just live with Adam happily and this is her whole story and I'm still assuming that's where we'll go with it, but I thought that would be more the lead-in versus like an eventualization. Interestingly, we do, this is Eve and we will eventually meet Adam. Oh, intriguing. We get confirmation that Bobby and Rufus used to hunt together when Rufus asks Bobby if they're going to partner on this just like old times. I love the kind of like paralleling of the two, like the two of them both rolling up in their different cars. And like, uh, there's a moment I think where Rufus and Bobby is like, they fight over who's driving for a second. Like it's really like this to me. I, this is the prequel I wanted to forget the Winchesters. I want the Bobby and Rufus show. I know it just, it feels so lived in so quickly. And I think that that's really a testament to like how amazing these two actors are. Yeah. The chemistry between the two is phenomenal. 
Uh, we get what I think is a really hilarious role reversal from Family Matters, where Dean sees Samuel and like runs up to him and points his gun at him, and Sam is the one to stop him this time. I'm also shocked at how quickly Dean went to grab a gun. Like, I know the threat was on the table of the next time I see you, I will kill you. I didn't take it that seriously. Dean is still pretty hopping mad about being fed to Crowley. Dean is a little bit more bark than bite sometimes. And while his bite is incredible, his bark is definitely a lot more uh, up there. So the threat to I will kill you next time is kind of like, okay, fine. They'll meet each other. There'll be animosity. There'll be threats. I didn't think the gun would come out that fast. It's the first time that we meet a conworm. Oh, so we're going to get more of these little buggers. Great. Apparently. When Bobby and Rufus are calling everyone they know, trying to get like any kind of information about the conworm, Samuel is just like sitting, not calling anyone. And I guess like to me, that was like my first red flag to be suspicious because we know that he's got at least like the rest of the Campbell clan that he could have called. I did not even consider that. Like, I don't think I was in the mindset of like, oh, who is it? Let's solve this mystery. I very much assumed none of them were possessed at that moment. So I wasn't looking for signs of like, oh, it's one of them. He knows secrets that his, that your daddy never even dreamed of, right? Like that was his big thing. So Sam shoots Samuel and kills him while Samuel is possessed by the conworm. I'm going to reserve my feelings on this one until story time because I have a lot to say. Bobby stabs Rufus and kills him while Bobby is possessed with the conworm. Again, story time conversation, but like... Mm. Rufus, another great character gone too soon. Dean kills Gwen while Dean is possessed by the conworm. True, yeah, I guess that we have of the three murders, only one is done by someone who is not actively possessed. Right, exactly. We do get more information about Rufus and Bobby's like origin story and about their falling out. I think they did a really good job here of giving us just enough. It doesn't feel like I've been burdened with all this extra information and like this ridiculously complex backstory that I would love to get into. But I know enough now that they had a relationship. Rufus is the one who pulled Bobby into the life slash saved his life. We know there was a falling out and Bobby takes responsibility and Rufus fully blames him for whatever it was at, at this Omaha incident. But like, I like that it's a little vague while still giving us the points we need without feeling like. The fact that they keep it very vague basically means that we don't know what happened, but also it shows that like, they don't want to talk about it. Even Bobby isn't able to say what exactly happened. Like, they're unable to revisit those moments truly together. Yeah, it, it's like an awkward thing where, like, Rufus doesn't want to bring it up because it hurts too much. And Bobby is, like, wants to bring it up, but at the same time respect his friend by not blatantly saying whatever it is he has to say. Which I think does such a good, again, between their acting and their characters, does such a good job of making me feel what I need to feel in that moment. Uh, I think it's important to note that, like, they didn't give Rufus a hunter's funeral, and instead they buried him in a Jewish cemetery, just like his faith would have demanded. It's so true that it's such an odd thing to realize that there are times like this where they break tradition of hunters to go with someone's beliefs, which I think is really respectful. There's a part of me now that wonders, is this going to come back and bite us in the ass one day? But also, I, I really, truly believe it won't. 
And this is truly just a respectful send-off to the character. And I really appreciate that. Now for the weird fun story, though. You might notice in this scene, there is one tombstone, like, front and center on the camera two or three times during this moment. With the name Stephen Epstein on it. Uh, Stephen Epstein is my cousin. Oh, okay. Was actually friends with the prop maker for this episode. And the prop maker was like, hey, you're Jewish. I need to make a Jewish looking tombstone. And while making it needed a Jewish sounding name. So just use my cousin Stephen's name. I've reached out to him because I've had the photos before. Before I was a fan of the series and knew everything. And I have to go dig for them now. But I do have a photo of my cousin Stephen Epstein standing next to his own fake foam tombstone that he apparently still has in his garage. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for sharing. I also just need to highlight that this is an episode where there is a black goo producing monster telling Dean that it's going to be nothing but pain from here on out. I love these really weird vaguenesses you try to give me of like, here's a really weird niche and specific thing that may happen again. And I just want to put it on paper for people who know what I'm talking about. I'm very intrigued to get to the next black goo producing monster that'll give Dean a similar message that this black goo producing monster gave. It's about time, huh? Remember when I said that Sarah Gamble would be leading the charge in terms of like killing off a bunch of characters? Well, after writing the episodes where Henriksen and Gordon die, she is the showrunner uh, of this season, as we know, where we've already seen Crowley die, which, you know, maybe we won't hold it back against her for too long, but like also Samuel and most importantly, Rufus die. Uh, So it does beg the question of like, who's next? I assume our three main boys are safe. But outside of the three of them, I have no idea. And even then, I know Cass doesn't make it till the very end. Our theme this week is uncertainty, which is made up of un, meaning lack of, and certainty, which is the state of being certain, as I'm sure we can imagine. So if we can focus on the word certain for a second, it actually distantly comes from a Latin root, which means like to distinguish, to decide in a more literal sense, like to sift or to separate. So uncertainty, I think, in the context of this episode would be not being able to distinguish or to decide and not being able to sift or separate the truth from the lives. Is it weird that like when you're describing the word sift, my brain just immediately goes to one of those like sand sifters? So the idea of like, you can sift out the sand to find the thing you're looking for in the pile of sand but when you're uncertain, you don't have that option. So you, it might be in there, it might not be. You may find it, you may not find it. There is uncertainty. Exactly. I think that that's a really, really visual way of looking at it. All right, let's get started with Dean. How they get started, he's the first to get hijacked by our uh, wormy friend. And he starts off with a shocker of killing Gwen, which is enough to make you question what's happening. I honestly think had it been Samuel as the first kill... I, let alone anyone, would not have assumed it was the worm. But of course, we now have the setup of an uncertainty as to who who we can trust. And given that the history of this show, no one really seems to be able to trust anyone super much, especially Samuel. And already Samuel doesn't trust any of them. So on top of the lack of trust that already exists, we now have this mystery player in the game of the worm. And Dina's surprisingly still very level-headed throughout all of this. 
And I think it goes to show how well Dean works in the Valley of Uncertainty. He's always forced to live in a world where he has to be on edge. And as even though he trusts everyone, he knows there's always a chance that things can suddenly change. Losing your soul, being possessed as examples. And after several months of not being able to trust even Sam, it makes even more sense that he's like weirdly okay with all this and like very ready to handle it. You're definitely onto something here. I think that maybe there's like one moment that I'd like to talk about. And it's when he has to electrocute Bobby to get the con worm out. Because the worm basically, like through Bobby, of course, like tells the brothers that like there's no way to kill it without killing Bobby with it. And it almost looks like Dean like doesn't hesitate, right? He goes like, well, we'll just have to do what Bobby would want us to do. And he just goes ahead with the electrocution. But the thing is that like he does look away. And I really do wonder if maybe like in that moment, he's really truly 100% certain of what he was doing or if he was having second thoughts. I think in this sense, he was certain he was doing the right thing, but was hoping he that he and the worm were wrong and that Bobby would survive this. Like, despite all this lack of trust and uncertainty going on right now, one of the few things that really sort of sticks with Dean, and it's ironic that it's brought up early in the episode by Samuel, that Bobby does fulfill this father figure role so much for them, that he truly has so much faith in Bobby. If anyone can survive this, it's him. But also, if this were to go wrong and this were to unfortunately kill Bobby, he, Bobby would be someone who would understand. Like, if Bobby had a chance to say, like, I understand what you did and I had to die for this reason, I don't think he would hold it against Dean. And I think it's having that trust in Bobby that lets Dean do it, despite not wanting to, which is why he looks away. In practice, it makes a lot of sense why he would look away, right? Like, this is actually pretty awful to be looking at. And, like, I'm sorry, but, like, we haven't talked about this, but, like, the, like, oh, you're the one going parading around like you're their father? Well, somebody ought to? Bobby. Oh, my God. Bobby sass? Like, oh, if it picks up on Mike's wall, Zed snap? Like, mm, you get it, girl. Oh, yeah, that was so good. I was like... Yes, absolutely. Because like that's a that's a double diss. That's like a diss against like John, but also against Samuel. To be frank, Samuel was dead for most of the childhood, so as long as he really had the position to be a father figure. But I mean, more like since Samuel has been back, right? Like he's been such an asshole to them. He has an opportunity to be like, "You're my grandkids. Like I never got to know you. Let's get to know each other and go hunting together." And like. I am picturing a very colorful montage of them like out on picnics and like slaying a vampire together and being an adorable family. And he's like, no, fuck that shit. I guess to come back to Dean, like, <sighs> I think it's also the fact that like, there's an element of time here. Like it happens so quickly where he doesn't actually really think about it. And, and again, like I sort of wonder if, if this had happened over longer, if he would have thought of maybe like, oh, maybe I should, we should try something else first because like his his instinct when Sam when there's something wrong with Sam is always so like okay well we'll find another way like no 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 I don't want to do this we'll find another way that it was a bit surprising to me to see like to see him like not hesitate and I understand why he didn't right like the I think the reasons he gave like made sense but it, it was still a bit surprising for me to see him like not hesitate to do that 
musical chairs and it was Sam sitting there with the worm in his head, uh, he would not turn to this as quickly or even at all. He would he would do the whole, let's find another way. There's, there's always another way. There's another way. Goodness. Oh, Sam. Oh, Dean. Well, speaking of Sam, uh, I think Sam's a lot in common with Dean here. Like, I feel like they kind of have a very similar role in the story because they're not as central as normal because it's very much a Bobby and Rufus central uh, story here. So I do want to focus on the moment that I think stands out the most for him this week, and this would be killing Samuel. And I'll be honest and admit that there was a good part of me that thought the twist was going to be that Samuel was not possessed this whole time. And in that moment was just like the sheer uncertainty and the amount of distrust in him would lead to this shooting to occur. Because even I couldn't tell you that Samuel was possessed or just trying to like befriend Sam and play to their past relationship to attempt to be like saved from a potential Dean encounter down the road. Uh, or again, the worm trying to save itself with the knowledge it had. And like, if that isn't a metaphor for how I feel about Samuel, I don't know what does it better that I could not tell if he was possessed by a demon worm or just being an ass. Yeah. I mean, I think when that happens, like it, I think it says everything you need to know about that particular character. So like, I think, I think that's incredibly accurate, but like, seriously, I, I kind of love the, that moment because I think. Like, it's a true moment of uncertainty for the audience, too. Because it happens, like, really, really quickly. And we, again, like, there's this element of timing here in this episode that I find really interesting. And that and that's also the thing. Like, we don't usually see Sam or Dean, like, being particularly trigger-happy. Like, they point their guns often, but they don't actually shoot them all that much. Except at, like, low-level monsters, right? And even then, like, bullets don't really kill most of them. So... I just, like, there's an element of psychological horror here that's, again, used to characterize Sam where we don't know if Sam made the right choice. And I'm sort of thinking back to, like, Sam Interrupted, for example, because we're thinking back to, like, Soulless Sam, and we're like, but hold on, like, why did he do that? Like, is this Sam? Like, is there something wrong? Like, what's going on? Is there something wrong with him? And that, like... That is an ongoing question on the show about Sam. Like, is there something wrong with Sam? It's one of those rare moments where we're kind of like in a safe space with Sam where we like know he's fine. All of his mental faculties seem to be intact. He has his soul back. As far as we can tell, he is not hijacked by a worm. This is really like, like exclamation mark true Sam for a moment. Uh, Sam Sam. They're not a very trigger-happy bunch. Like, even when they do pull the trigger nine out of ten times, it's salt. Yeah, that's true. To see them turn the gun on another human, and even, like... Because realistically, like... With the exception of Dean that we've kind of presented this episode, I feel like, especially Sam, is the kind of person who would... Even if he was convinced Samuel was hijacked, would not go for the kill would go for, like, an arm, a shoulder, a kneecap, like, a, let's let's debilitate him and, like, capture him and learn more, not straight-up kill, which makes me feel like there might be more to this kill than just the, I had to stop the worm and Samuel. 
And I think that it's designed to make you think that, like that this whole situation, because when you think about it, the other two kills that occur happen because the person doing the killing is possessed, right? And so in that sense, I found, like, obviously I was horrified when Rufus died, but like, I didn't have the same like physical recoil when Gwen died than when Samuel dies. And not because I like Samuel more than Gwen, but more because like, because of the way Sam acts before. Like it truly makes you wonder what is going on there. And then there's that like period of waiting after where you don't know if he was possessed or not and they don't know. And it's like, oh my God, did like what, again, is, is there something wrong with Sam that he would kill his own grandfather in cold blood? I had that same journey you just described, but the very end where I go, well, maybe that wasn't possessed Samuel, that was real Samuel, and Sam just killed his grandfather in cold blood in the guise of, like, defense. I feel like it wasn't a matter of, like, what's wrong with Sam? It's the, what does Sam remember from being soulless that he now sees Samuel in this way that killing him was that easy? You know, that's really interesting because like literally in that moment, in that scene, like he's he's taunting him with the things that he doesn't know, right? Like Samuel's like, oh, don't you want to know about what happened during that year? And he's like, yeah, I'm dying too. Well, turns out he's dying too. Well, turns out he's dying too. But you know what I mean? Like, so it's, I never saw it that way because like the text doesn't seem to indicate that Sam remembers. He knows or feels or has enough vague memory from the things he was told to understand that clearly Sam was not being a good, Samuel was not being a good person. I think that makes this killing easier for him. I don't think I agree with that. It, it, because then he, because he stopped Dean earlier, right? The, even the way I'm saying it, the way I hear it, it sounds like I'm saying like, oh, he used the possibility of the worm as an excuse to kill him. I don't think that's the case. I think it's just that in his mental calculations of like, do I stop him or do I just like, or do I end him? Okay, but he might be possessed, so ending him might be the only way. It like it lends itself a bit towards his calculation of like which way do I take this attack? I don't know. I could be completely off base. I just get a vibe of like, while Sam did stop Dean from doing it in cold blood, when Sam had an opportunity to kill him in like with reasonable reason, it made sense for him. I just find that that is completely unhinged behavior, which then brings me back to what is wrong with Sam. But it's unhinged in the way of like soulless Sam would would, would explain this is a logical step. But see, there you go. So what is wrong with Sam? At the end of the day, nothing is wrong with Sam, right? Like we find out that he was possessed. But what I, I think the point that I was trying to make <laughs> was just that the show is really trying to make us wonder. Bobby? Like, I think I made the joke before of, like, everyone on the show, like, angels hate Bobby. I think it's just, like, like the show doesn't know how to write Bobby in a positive light. It's not, like, against him, but just, like, if Bobby's going to be in the forefront of the episode, it's going to be because something bad is happening to him. So, like, he really gets a rough week this week. You know, and to fit with our theme, Bobby never really seems uncertain. Like, he's suspicious about who the worm is riding around in. Uh, like some sort of Eva unit. That's a weird reference. I'm sorry. Uh, but ultimately, he's like pretty damn good at keeping his cool. Like he is surprisingly very like level headed and like the most like 
on the ball this week when it comes to like what to do, like putting all the guns in a bag to see him be the one who is like the most level headed and cool with all this. It's hard watching him lose someone that is so evidently important to him. And then fearing that their fraught backstory only makes it worse. It's just like, you know, at least we can see in Bobby, he is like certainly sure of who he is and what he does which I think in an episode that is so about confusion and uncertainty and a lack of trust that Bobby can stand out from that crowd as like a very surprisingly certain character just shows his strength in a very beautiful way. I don't think I disagree with Bobby's strength in any way, shape or form, right? Totally get that. I just, I feel like his last conversation with Rufus like really shakes him. And I don't know, maybe I'm projecting, but like, I know that I would personally find it really challenging to deal with knowing that like one of my dearest friends, or at least like one of my oldest or closest friends, like couldn't forgive me about something. And, and not only that, but to know that like he died moments later to my own hand, like, and that's the thing too, like Rufus is dead now. And I know that nothing ever really dies on Supernatural and blah, 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 blah. But like, for all intents and purposes, like Rufus and Bobby will never get to actually mend whatever this was in any way. And to be clear, like we talked about forgiveness not too long ago. So I'm not saying that like, it's wrong of Rufus to not forgive Bobby. Like he is well within his rights not to. But that lack of forgiveness and knowing that Bobby is never going to, get a chance to atone for that. Like, it must be extremely hard for him. And we are going to see some very deep repercussions to that in, in the coming episodes. You, you are right. This is a moment where I know you are right. I just need to say the other side of the conversation because it occurred to me. And while I don't agree with it, I think it's, it bears saying, I wonder if there's not a part of Bobby that is better off knowing that Rufus would never forgive him and he can never atone for whatever happened in Omaha versus having never tried to apologize and being left wondering. You know, I think that's a really good question. I don't know which is worse, and I don't think I could ever really put myself in the shoes enough to say which is worse, but I can imagine Bobby being the kind of person who might be better off knowing like, at least there was nothing left unsaid between Rufus and I before I lost him. I think that that's important. I, I, I get that. The thing is, like, when you hear, like, I will never forgive you for this, then you're, but our, our relationship can continue as such. Like, you're kind of hoping you're like, okay, you know what? Like, I will spend the rest of my life, you know, trying to make it up to you in some way. Exactly. Right? Like, like, well, they're never going to outright say, like, hey, you finally did enough good deeds. I'm now forgiving you for that one shitty one you did. Like, at least you know, like, as long as we are both still in this world together, I can do what I can to try to, like, make it up for you karmically, even if it's for myself. Which is a bit of a weird sentiment, but, like, I get what you mean. Well, it's the difference between, like, forgiveness and atonement, right? Like, you, you, even if you don't receive forgiveness, then you can spend time atoning for what you've done. And, and Bobby doesn't get a chance to do that. And um, that must be really, really hard. I'm thinking about one of my colleagues uh, in one of my, one of my classmates, actually, in one of, my, one of our courses where 
we, uh, it was our self-study course and we, each week we had like writing prompts. One of the prompts that we had was something about like a kind lie and, um, or a hard truth or something like that. I can't quite remember, but he told a story. I'm going to, you know, change a few details here, just a, and he said that, so basically his, a family member of his, uh, was gravely injured and, uh, taken to hospital. And they were told, uh, the moment he arrived in hospital that it, you know, that the family member was going to pass away. My, my classmate was not present at the time. He was, uh, in a different country. And so he didn't have, he wasn't able to speak to his family member before this happened and before he passed. And he said how painful it was to hear, to hear that from the, from the physician. And I asked him, I'm like, would you have rather he lied to you? And he said, yes. And so I'm kind of thinking about that, about like what is kinder or easier in this particular moment for Bobby. And I, I, I don't know. This episode was written by Brett Matthews, directed by Mike Roll, and originally aired on March 4th, 2011. What's in the Hunter's Journal this week? It's been a year or close to. Dates can be hard to keep track of in this lifestyle. But it's almost certainly been at least a year, I think. A year since I had to bury them. A year since I had to start getting used to an empty passenger seat. A year of no one mocking me for singing along to my... Uh, sorry. A year of no one mocking me for singing along poorly with my tunes. As per tradition, they were buried in a Jewish cemetery. A headstone placed. I had to find a local stone carver in that town. And make it and put it up for me while I was away. And while they said it was covered in a veil, I can't seem to find it now. Not a surprise. I laid a blanket over the headstone in the back of my car. Many traditions will need to be skipped, as I don't have nine other adults, uh, let alone Jewish ones. Not that I'm much more than a Jewish by culture anyways. Nor a rabbi, so heck. Heck, I don't even know any more than a hello or goodbye in Hebrew. So, all of it's kind of a moot point. Nonetheless, I observe the traditions of unveiling for them, and for me, to try and say goodbye. To try and make peace. To try to begin healing. I place a stone on the monument. See you around. So, I kind of took a very different approach to um, the journal this week, and I, mm. I, I'm a little shorter because I want to talk about it a bit. Uh, so while I, myself, uh, was raised Jewish, and I'm really only Jewish by cultural association and family, um, it is a faith I was very much around my entire life and have unfortunately attended a fair number of Jewish funerals. And I wanted to point out and bring to light for those who are unaware of the practices that I've always found a little more unique. And I'm sure there's other cultures that do similar or the same practices. Uh, but the unveiling to me, which I think is such an interesting part of the Jewish um, afterlife services, it's the act of either erecting or revealing the headstone Mm. about a uh, a year after uh, the death. It doesn't have to be a year to the date, but over a year later. Um, and it's supposed to be part of the healing process. I think it's really pretty, which is a, it's kind of like a moment where like you, it's, re it's basically reflecting on you've had a year to mourn the person. And while they are gone, you can still miss them. 
this is kind of your cue to like move on to the next phase, which is to begin healing. Um, and then the other part of this, I kind of always been fascinated by, and I, I looked it up because I was finally like looking up all of this intrigued. Uh, there is a tradition to leave a stone or a small trinket on the tombstone. Uh, and apparently there's no like definitive 100% like reason why this is done. Uh, most believe it to be a symbolic way of showing that someone has been there, almost like a physical representation of your thinking of them. I love that. You know, it's really interesting because I noticed I'm like, oh, they didn't like there's no tombstone for or there's no headstone for uh, for Rufus. And um, I guess that makes a lot more sense now that you're explaining this uh, this tradition to me. So thank you for taking the time to do that. Yeah, so theoretically, lore-wise, someone would go back in a year and actually put the headstone there, which gives them a year to put it together. But again, who knows where that's actually going to go. But it does kind of, it does fill that void, which is kind of nice. And Mary, my dear, your thoughts for the week? I was just listening to our episode on Unforgiven not too long ago. And we already talk about the way that like Black characters are treated on this show. So I'm going to spare everyone the spiel again, despite how upset I am about Rufus. If we can talk about Samuel's death for a second, I thought, like, in contrast, like, it was actually, like, meaningful and interesting and, like, purposeful to have Sam be the one to end his life, like, in the way that he did, in the circumstances where it occurred. But I think that killing off Rufus, like, it just wasn't interesting. It wasn't meaningful. It wasn't purposeful. Like, it was actually kind of cruel in many ways because, like, we've been kind of, like, teetering on this line of finding out more about Bobby and Rufus's relationship since season three. It's been three seasons that we've been wanting more details about that. And we've gotten, like, little bits and pieces of it. And then finally we start getting more information and we get invested in their relationship. And then, bam! He's gone. And I genuinely think that like this is a wider problem within Supernatural, especially going forward, where they end up killing off characters just as like we really start getting invested with them. You're right. Like in an episode where we had a death in Samuel that was so story driven and like talks to the characters, killing Rufus was, again, like just shock value for the sake of shock value. I think it was also like to further Bobby's character, uh, which, you know, yeah, I love Bobby, but just like Rufus was a cool character on his own, right? So it would have been cool to develop him. Like, I don't think Rufus's death changes my view of Bobby this week in any way, shape or form more than their interactions already did. And all you've done now is take away this great piece of like Bobby storytelling that could have had so much potential down the line. I fully agree. This week, we have a message from Nick. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email that recording to carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, what do you think should be written on Rufus's headstone for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk? Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. So I'm going to read an email from Nick. 
Hey, this is Nick. I hope this is all right. I just felt more comfortable sending a message through email rather than voicemail. If anything doesn't make sense, let me know and I'll try to make sense of it for you. I just wanted to add onto the Gabriel confrontation with Lucifer. Gabriel saying dad was right. They are better than us. Lucifer saying they're flawed, broken abortions. And Gabriel saying damn right they're flawed, but a lot more of them try to do better to forgive. Gabriel saying, I'm not on either side, I'm on their side. It was a proud moment when Gabriel broke through and chose his found family over blood family. And that family is not just defined by blood, and it is what you make of it. I got a great family at home, but I've also gotten to know some really good friends through TikTok, and they have helped me, and I have helped them. One of them is going through a tough stretch. Going back to the we are flawed, damn right we are, but we try our best to do better, to forgive, and to help each other out. Also, I just really love Rich's performance in this episode too. Thank you, love this podcast, and look forward to listening to Drew's reaction to Swan's song as I get ready to head down to Creation Supernatural Con in Atlanta on March 3rd. I really hope at this point you've had a great time at the convention. I'd love to hear some stories or how it went. Thank you for this message. I really do love this moment. I really think it was such an amazingly powerful moment. It's one that has stuck with me a lot throughout the show up to this point. And it is just, like you said, it's that moment of Gabriel very explicitly turning away from the family he was forced upon versus the family he found himself loving. And I think that's beautiful. And I love that you actually bring up being a part of both those families in your case. Because I think so often the idea of blood family versus like family family becomes this like weird like you have to pick one or the other. And while Gabriel does very explicitly choose one over the other, I think if we look at the other very core example of Sam and Dean, they are very much finding their family uh, from other hunters to the people they save to Cass and I'm sure there'll be more down the road despite this whole finding a family and breaking the family bonds, they still have each other, their literal brothers. So again, I think it is so important to remember that found family doesn't take away from family family. I need better words for this. I want to use blood family, but that's the whole blood is thicker than water bullshit. doesn't always work. My point being beautiful message. I truly appreciate this moment and also your way of sharing you're finding a family through the people you were born with and the people you found through your own means. So thank you. Yeah, Nick, I, I you know what I really love about this moment? First off, I completely agree that Rich's performance is like, like a spot on in that moment. I think what I love about this scene is really like when Gabriel is like, they try to do better. They try to forgive. Like, of course they're flawed. And I wonder how much of that is about humans and how much of that is about himself. You know, whether it's because he's trying to get better or he's trying to forgive or whether it's because he wishes he could try to do better and he wishes he could start to forgive or try to forgive. You know, like, I don't know how much of that is projection and to what degree. And I think that that's kind of, it adds an interesting layer to Gabriel that like, I don't know, I just never saw before. So thank you so much for highlighting this. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, ultimately a great message. And yes, uh, to, to go back, Mary, thanks for reminding me, the performance. I mean, oh. Yeah, oh, this is such a great job. 
only rivaled by his performance in the porn tape, but otherwise, oh. <laughs> Amazing acting all around. Oh my God. Do you have any reflections or call to action this week? So one thing that really sticks like with me in this episode is Sam shooting Samuel. Like I cannot stop thinking about it. And I think as the audience, it's really easy to cheer as that's happening because like no matter if he was possessed or not at that moment, like we generally just don't like Samuel. So we're like, yeah. But like if we place ourselves in Sam's shoes for a moment, I can't quite tell if he acted out of instinct or out of fear. And I think that in moments of uncertainty, like either can happen. You can act out from fear or from instinct. And I I'm I guess I'm feeling called to look inside myself in moments of uncertainty and to reflect on whether I'm acting like out of logic, out of instinct, or out of fear. What about you? So for me, I weirdly heard it came across the fact that while our theme this week was uncertainty and how uncertainty seems to be like the downfall of everyone in this episode. Uh, it's really like kind of the defining factor of like, what do we do? We're not sure who can we trust. I'm uncertain what to do. Sometimes uncertainty can be a good thing. And for me, it is that asking questions moment. Sometimes I think the, the expression of like too good to be true sometimes is just a matter of asking the right questions, figuring out what I can ask what I can do to try to clear up that uncertainty. But being uncertain allows me to dig deeper and find the answers. So my call to action is really just to, in scenarios where it might seem easier to sort of just like let things slide by or sort of just go on like a whim or hope to actually stop, clear up that uncertainty and use it to my advantage to get the right information I need before making a decision or moving forward with something. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mary Vigurou and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to everyone who's supporting us on Coffee or Patreon. And an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira, L, and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Nick for his message. You can find the link to all of our social media and our merch store at carryingwayward.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to us. If you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon. And you can find both those links at carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. I'll be honest, like as much as I've been to non-Jewish cemeteries, I feel like I can't really think of what I've seen written on them before very often. Is it is it very different? No, that's the thing. Like it's uh it's about that. Sometimes it's like quotes or poems or lyrics from songs or again, like it's it's usually something incredibly personal. Um to quote Phoebe Buffet from Friends, you know, she says that she wants her headstone. She goes, you know, your your headstone can read whatever you want. Like mine's gonna be Phoebe Buffet buried alive. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>